podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 10th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, like BBC iPlayer, if you're a UK expat and want access to match the day for the upcoming season. A Liberty Shield VPN will get you where you want to be and, most importantly, keep you safe from the scumbags. Keep your data safe from the 'er ne'er-do-wells and the miscreants that lurk on the interwebs. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. And lastly, can I ask you to check out the other podcasts from EPL Index? So there's the EPL Roundtable which you'll find if you search EPL Roundtable on your podcast provider, or the other one that comes out on this stream, which is Tad, a Tad Predictable. It's really good. This week's show, we've got Jake Jackman on to talk all things Newcastle and take a look at the weekend's games. So do check out a Tad Predictable. It's out every week, or at least the weeks there is a game. If there's no game, Tad tends to take the week off, because, you know, why wouldn't he? He's a high-powered man. But do check out the latest one. It's very, very good. Right, folks. I, I'm struggling a little bit today. I'm going to be honest. Uh, the COVID hangover thing is horrible. And uh, I'm getting headaches and I'm tired all the time. So uh, if I stumble over my words, which I have been doing, I know, for the last week or so, um, that is why. So do just bear with me while I rid myself of these this pox as uh as trev downey would call it right it's wednesday there's very little happening we're going to look at the news we're going to look at the gossip but first we're going to take something that i think is mostly gossip but might have something behind it and we're going to talk about manchester united and michael knighton Now, for those that don't know, in August of 1989, Michael Knighton made a bid to buy Manchester United, a bid of £20 million. At the time, it was a record figure for a football club, which, think about that for a second, you wouldn't even buy a League 2 team now for £20 million. This man was going to buy Manchester United. The offer was accepted. He was going to invest £10 million in the stadium. Again, £10 million then would have done so much for Old Trafford, which is pre-expansion, pre-rebuild. Um, now, I mean, what would you add? Maybe a couple of luxury boxes to an existing stand, maybe. I mean, the rebuilding one stand at Anfield or, or expanding one stand at Anfield is costing, I think, £60 million or something right now. He was going to invest £10 million and it was seen as a big deal at the time. Uh, he was brought out onto the pitch. He showed off his skills, did some keepy-uppies, and then the whole thing fell apart. And it all got a bit messy from there. He became, for a while, a director at the club and then had a bit of bitter falling out. He ended up buying Carlisle and made an absolute hames of the thing. 
uh, was absolutely despised by Carlisle's owners, made lots of promises, never delivered. Well, Michael Knighton says that right now he is planning a hostile takeover of Manchester United. He is putting together a consortium to put in a bid to buy Manchester United. Now, given the Chelsea Football Club, who are a smaller, far less valuable club than Manchester United, just went for whatever it was, three billion, two and a half billion before we count in the money that was put aside for the stadium expansion. I genuinely think you're looking at somewhere between four and five billion to buy Manchester United. Now, Michael Knighton is a wealthy man. He doesn't have anything close to that type of money. One thing I should have pointed out with Michael Knighton, uh, while there as the owner, he sacked the manager and put himself in charge for a while, which, you know, didn't really go all that well. Um, He's a bit delusional. He's a bit... He's one of those people that likes to be heard and doesn't really back up anything that he has to say. His bid for United fell apart because he didn't have the 20 million to buy the club. So for him to say he's going to put together a consortium, I mean, I I just don't think he's going to have anywhere close to the money to even get things rolling. There is talk that Jim Radcliffe could become involved. He's obviously... England's richest man or Britain's richest man but I mean he tried to buy Chelsea it didn't work he owns Nice I have a hard time believing that he's gonna part with that much money to buy United and then run it in a way where the fans are going to be happy on Sky the other day Keva who's I mean, the guy's an absolute spoofer. Sits there scrolling Twitter while pretending he's reading text messages from sources. The same guy who went on TV last year and said that every club in the Premier League had turned down the chance to sign Tommy Asu and nobody knew what his actual position was. Like, utter tripe. He had some words on United the other day. And he talked about how under the Glazers in the, I don't know, 15 or 16 years since they bought the club, how United have gone backwards drastically. All accurate. But he seemed to make his case that it was because they didn't invest enough in the team. He talked about the Glazers leveraging money onto United, which obviously they did. He then claimed leverage buyouts weren't allowed anymore while ignoring what happened at Burnley less than two years ago. Uh, He talked about the money that's been taken out of the club. And he ignored the fact that United have spent as much, if not more, than Man City over the last 10 years. He ignored the fact that the issues at United aren't a lack of investment. They're just a lack of qualified people. They've got Richard Arnold now as the chief executive. They've got John Murtaugh as the director of football. or Sorry, no, no, the football director, uh, whatever that is. Uh, They've got Darren Fletcher as a technical director. And they don't seem to have any kind of recruitment staff which is weird because not that long ago, quite a big deal was made about how United had increased their recruitment department and you know they were going to take this new approach to recruitment. Everyone remembers the laughable claim that they looked at like 804. And that's not me exaggerating. That's the number they claimed. 804 different right-backs before settling on Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And as I said, when I heard that, That is the most nonsensical thing I've ever heard because if you're Manchester United or Liverpool or Chelsea or City or Arsenal or Spurs, if you're one of those big clubs like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, whoever, there are not 804 right-backs in the world who could play for your club. There aren't even half of that. 
I'm just talking about players currently playing in top flight leagues around the globe. Forgetting anything about quality, you're not looking at, with respect, the Indian League or the Chinese League or you know the Vietnamese League or the Bolivian League or the Peruvian League or you know Botswana or Nigeria or wherever. You're only looking at a handful of leagues around the world. Probably 15 at most, all of whom will have about 20 teams, which gives you about 300 right backs. Even if you were to look at their backups as well, that's 600. So you can immediately write off 550 of those as just not being good enough. And then you can start to narrow it down and you're going to come up with a list if you're Manchester United or one of the top clubs of about 30 players who could realistically come in and play for Manchester United as a right back. That's what you're going to look at. So the idea that you would even start with 804 is a nonsense. Your long list, before you start to pare it down, should be 30 max. No more than that. Anything else is a waste of time. Now this summer, if we look at what United have done, they've signed two lads from the Eredivisie, and Christian Eriksen, Tyrell Malashia, uh, Xander Martinez, and Christian Eriksen. They've also brought in Tom Huddleston, but that's irrelevant to the first team. He's been brought in to play in the 21s as an overage player and to begin his coaching career. So the three players that they brought in all share a commonality. They've all played in the Netherlands at one point. Which leads me to think that the man behind their recruitment is the manager, Eric Ten Hag. So he is recruiting from the pool that he knows. Because barring his one season as the B-team coach at Bayern Munich, he's always worked in the area division. So recently we've seen Adrian Rabio's name linked and we've seen Marco Arnautovic's name linked. And the Marco Arnautovic justification was that well, he worked with Ten Hag and McLaren years ago at 20, which is 13 years ago that he was there. So if you're, if you're looking at these type of players, what is your recruitment department doing? Like, what have they actually been doing since January? Because... They didn't leave the club when Ollie left the club. They were still there. Now, I understand that Ralph Ranick was in charge for seven, eight months. And it was very obvious that he wasn't going to be staying. But that doesn't mean you can't start planning your recruitment for the summer. You should have long lists of players for every position. The 25 to 30 players who could potentially come in and do a job for you in each and every position. And I mean each and every position. So left back and left wing back and left wing and left side forward, depending on what shape you want to play. Then you break it down into profile. So you want a centre-back. Well, what type of centre-back would you like? Do you want a commanding centre-back? who's early dominant, physical, plays in a deep block, and just heads it and kicks it. Fine, here's five names. Do you want a pacey centre-back who's progressive, who plays in a high line, who can carry the ball and pass the ball? Fine, here's five names. So from your long list, you start to break it into short lists of players that will suit each potential profile of player in each position. Because it's not like there's 
20 different types of centre-back. There's three, really. Three on each side. So you need six short lists of five names each. From the pool of 60, you should have 30 at right side, 30 at left side. Same thing goes at right back. There are no other trends. So you're not looking for a trend, but you might be looking for an overlapping fullback or an inverted fullback who can be a distributor of the ball. Or you might be looking for a defensive right back, a Tomiyasu, a Kyle Walker, a Branislav Ivanovic type. They're your three profiles that you're going to look for at right back. Same at left back, holding midfield, you're going to look for either uh, a shielder who holds the midfield together and protects his back four. Normally those players are decent distributors of the ball. You might look for a destroying type. Someone that, again, like a a windshield wiper, over and back, touchline to touchline, in front of the defence, just breaking up play and giving it to other players. A Wilfendidi type. Or you might be looking for an N'Golo Kante type of box-to-box destroyer. Again, there is only one N'Golo Kante, but that profile of player does exist. So again, you've got five, six names for each position. So when Eric Ten Hag walked in the door, when he had his first meeting with the recruitment staff, which you would assume would come in the first couple of days, they should have been able to say to him, We have everything prepared. Whatever it is you're looking for, we already have shortlists for you to go over and make your decision. To give us your three options that you would like in order of priority. And then this man, John Murtaugh, he is going to go out and negotiate a deal and he's going to bring you one of them. And instead, they didn't do anything. They did nothing. Because he went and he bought Terrell Malashia, who's just a player he knew. He bought Lisandro Martinez, a player he managed. He bought Christian Eriksen, a player he knew, who everybody knew. And then he stuck looking for Arnautovic and Adrian Rabio. Now, I'm, I I used to be a big fan of Rabio. There was no doubting his talent. When he came through at PSG, he looked like he was going to be an absolutely immense midfielder. And it's just never happened. The combination of his attitude, his mother, the family desire to just have all the money, whatever it is, none of it panned out for him. He would not be on any list. That is just a case where you're scrambling around trying to find a midfielder. Because if if, if your manager says to you, I want a controlling midfielder who can carry the ball and pass the ball and is good defensively, and your first two options are Frankie de Jong, that's that's not a bad shout at all, but option B is Adrian Rabiot, I I really have to question what you're doing. I have to question how you're coming up with these names. Are you looking up the best midfielders on FIFA 2019 or something? Is that what you've done here? Because another part of recruitment, it's not just about the player. It's not about the profile. It's not, not just about the talent. It's about the personality. It's about the person as much as the player. And if you look at the best recruitment team in Europe, which has been Liverpool over the last five to six years under Jurgen Klopp with Michael Edwards and now Julian Ward and that incredible staff that they have there headed by Dave Fallows and Barry Hunter and Dr. Ian Graham, of course. One of the things they do look at is a player's background and any potential red flags. And then they start to dig in. Then they start to talk to people around him. They talk to former teammates, former coaches. They might talk to a family member. 
They might talk to a friend. And they find out as much as they can because when we talk about gathering data, it's not just about numbers. It's about information. And when Liverpool make a decision to buy a player, you can be certain that they have all the information on that player. So before they bought Darwin Nunes, they'll have spoken to people at, at Almeria. What's he like? How does he train? How does he react when things go badly? These aren't things United look at. And I know that because they're looking at signing Adrian Rabio. So they clearly haven't spoken to anyone who played with him at PSG or anyone that's played with him at Juventus or coached him at either club. Adrian Rabio, I mean, not that long ago, Juventus were ready to give him away on a free just to get rid of him, just to get off his wages. And now they're going to get about 15 million for him from Man United because United are desperate because they don't know what they're doing because they don't have any real football structure. They've got jobs for the boys. There's no structure in place at that club. So United's ales are not down to the Glazers not letting them spend money because they spend money like it's going out of fashion. I mean, Martinez and Malashi, that's 70 million spent already this summer. Ericsson was a free, obviously, but he's not there on small wages. Last summer, they spent 70-odd million on Sancho, plus the add-ons, 15 million on Cristiano, 45 million on Rafa Varane. That wasn't some cheap summer. The summer before that, they brought in Donny van de Beek, they brought in Alex Tellez, they brought in Ahmed Diallo. That was another... Oh, and... Uh, Palestri and, and Cavani on a free on big wages. I mean, that's another 90 million or so spent. The summer before that, well, this is the summer they had some big issues. They wanted a centre-back, so they went and spent 80 million on Harry Maguire. And this is where I know the recruitment team aren't doing their job. Because if Harry Maguire is your number one target, that's fine. He shouldn't be, but that's fine. If you've decided he's your number one target, that's fine. You've also got to put a breaking a breaking point price on him. And you've got to say, if the price for this 35, 40 million pound centre-back gets to 50 million, we're walking away. We're not having anything to do with that. And we will look at our plan B. And you could have bought Lewis Dunk for 40 million. You could have bought James Tarkovsky for 30 million, both of whom, by the way, are better than Harry Maguire. They just don't have his PR. Instead, they paid 80 million for Harry Maguire, a world record fee for Harry Maguire. They spent 50 million on Juan Bissaka, 13 million or whatever it was on Dan James. Then they went in the January, they got Bruno Fernandes. A good signing, but again, look at the money they've spent that year. £130 million on Wan-Bissaka and Maguire. Like, United's defence. Luke Shaw cost £35 million eight years ago. That's probably £50 million now. Wan-Bissaka, £50 million. Maguire, 80 Varane, 45 Bailly was 30 Lindelof was 30 um, Martinez was whatever he was, 55, uh, Malashi was 15, Delo was 10 or 12, Alex Tellez is still owned by the club, but gone on loan, he was 10 or 12. Like That's a ridiculous amount of money poured into a defence that isn't very good. And it's not very good, in part because of a lack of coaching, but in part because the recruitment has been absolutely shambolic. It takes them so long to get deals done. They always buy the wrong player. And they always overpay. They always overpay. Now, United fans will tell you, oh, that's because when United get involved, the price goes up. And sometimes that is the case. Like with Benjamin Sesco, the price did go up through the sky. 
but it's up to your people to bring that price back down. Do you think Michael Edwards would have walked into that room if Liverpool wanted him? And if uh, Salzburg had said, okay, the price is 50 million. Do you think Edwards would have just gone, yeah, that's fine, we'll pay that? Or would he have said, well, hang on a sec, we know you have another offer of about 25 million and the player prefers to join us. Because in the summer, just gone, Darwin Nunes was wanted by Manchester United. And Manchester United were willing to pay £80 million plus add-ons. And yet Liverpool managed to get him for £65 million plus add-ons. Overall, about £15 million less than United were willing to spend and £15 million less than United wanted to spend up front or maybe a little bit more. So how did they do that? Well, first thing they did was they spoke to him, or and through well through his agent. Who do you want to play for? I want to play for Liverpool. That's fine. We want you to come here and play for Liverpool, but we can't really afford to spend the eighty million this summer. What can we do about this? And the agent says, "I'll tell United he doesn't want to go there." He doesn't want that move. You're wasting your time. So that's what happened. George Mendes met with Manchester United and said, Darwin does not want to join your club. You can bid as much as you want. He will not join. So United walked away because they got turned down. So Liverpool could then turn around to Benfica and say, you've got no other option. He wants us. He only wants us. We'll give you 65 million and your add-ons. And they got him cheaper than Benfica wanted to let, let him go for. They got him cheaper than United were willing to pay. But United don't have people that can do this. We remember they had a football negotiator who couldn't negotiate his way out of a paper bag. They went to Leicester. Leicester said 80 million. And they, they said, okay. They went to Palace for Juan Bissaka, a 20 million pound fullback with one season under his belt. Palace said 50 million and probably laughed while covering the, the mouthpiece of the phone with their hand, sniggering and laughing at in, in Dougie Friedman's office, winking at each other. Oh, we'll wind them up here, lads. We'll tell them 50 million. Sure, maybe we'll get 25 out of them. 50 million. Okay. Like, what are you doing? What is this club doing? How is this the way one of the biggest clubs in the world is being run? Forget the lack of investment. There's loads of investment. The issue is not the lack of investment. The issue is that the clowns are now in charge of running the circus. The clowns are running the show. Funny hair, full face of makeup, the big trousers, Hong Kong coin, uh, horns. It's a, a circus at United. There are two of the world's biggest clubs currently an absolute shambles, a laughing stock. One of them is Manchester United. One of them is Barcelona. Manchester United are about 600 million in debt. Manchester United have in place a repayment structure for that loan and the interest on it. Manchester United can manage that debt very easily. Barcelona are about 1.6 billion in debt. So about a billion more. They can't afford to manage that debt properly. They keep having to restructure it, take out new loans to pay off old ones. And all they're actually doing is kicking the can down the road and increasing the debt. Now, obviously, they've had their quote-unquote economic levers, which they've been pulling as if it's some sort of slot machine. 
and they're hoping that they're going to get a free 20 quid. Stuff been sold off left, right and centre. Barcelona Studios, rights to TV games. This is going to hurt Barcelona in the long run. But look at the window they've had. Frank Kessie left Serie A winning AC Milan to join an inferior team in Barcelona on a free. An inferior team right now, without question. Andreas Christensen could have stayed at Chelsea. Tuchel liked him. He would have been first choice. He said no. He joined an inferior team at Barcelona. Rafinha and Jules Koundé, Chelsea had agreed fees for both of them for more money than Barcelona could afford to pay for either of them. Significantly more. Like 10 million more in both cases. But Barcelona convinced them that the only place they wanted to go was Barcelona. And yes, I know Barcelona has a specific draw, but so does Manchester United. We're not talking about a, a Chelsea or a City who've just come along in the last 20 years to have success and become an elite club. United have been an elite club since the 60s. They're one of the four biggest clubs in the world. Real, Barca, United, Bayern. Liverpool and Real, uh, Liverpool and AC Milan are in the next bracket, in my view. They're the four biggest clubs in the world. United have massive global appeal. They can't convince anyone to join them. They can't get a player to fight for that move. Look at Martinez. Now, Martinez turned down Arsenal. He only wanted United. He only wanted Ten Hag. And they still couldn't get any money off. They still ended up overpaying. When Arsenal bid 30 million, they were told the price was 35. United paid 55. They paid 20 million more. And he only wanted to join them. Barca got Rafinha to sit at home for a week and a half. Got Jules Koundé to turn up at a random training camp. To turn down bigger wages. Like, again, bigger wages. Chelsea were offering both of them significantly more wages. They were offering Leeds and Sevilla significantly bigger fee, uh, transfer fees. And Barca convinced both of them to go to their owners and say, I only want to go to Barcelona. And then Barcelona have all the power. So they can walk in to negotiations with Leeds and say, look, we know that Chelsea have offered you a package that works out at 65 million, including the add-ons. But here's 54 million. And that's all you're getting. And Leeds had to say, all right, yeah, fine, we'll take it. You think Sevilla wanted to sell their best player to a domestic rival? No. But Jules Koundé went to them and says, I only want to go to Barcelona. So sell me there or you're stuck with me and you might end up losing money on this. So they have to sell him. Robert Lewandowski is an icon at Bayern. He has ruined his reputation with Bayern Munich fans. Ruined it. To force a move to Barcelona because Barcelona convinced him that they were the only place he should go. That he shouldn't stay at Bayern. That he shouldn't stick around and score the guaranteed 40 goals a season, collect the guaranteed 400 grand a week. That he should go to Barcelona, take less money, and not be guaranteed his 40 goals a season. Oh, and by the way, they got him for below the price that was originally been asked as well. Barcelona are a train wreck. And they've added 
five quality players. All of whom, by the way, walk into Manchester United's first team. All of them. Christensen will likely will likely be third choice at Barca. You'd imagine Kunde and Arejo will be the first choice pairing, and then Christensen and PK will be the depth, and then Eric Garcia, etc. etc. Christensen would start for United. Christensen is better than Harry Maguire. He's a better centre-back than Lisandro Martinez is in a four. Christensen and Varane would be the pairing. Lewandowski obviously starts. Rafinha obviously starts. Kunde obviously starts. And Frank Kessie would be the best midfield player United have had since Michael Carrick was in his prime. Which is a long time ago. So Barca, with no money to spend... <laughs> No avenue to actually get players registered. The walls falling down around them, trying desperately to keep the club afloat. They've managed to sign five really good players. One of whom is a top five, number nine in the world. One of whom is a top six or seven centre-back. Another of whom is one of the best wingers in the world. And then, you know, two really good players on Bosman's. All the while, United are trying to sign Marco Arnautovic and Adrian Rabio. I'm sorry, you can't tell me that United could not be doing so much better. Like, Edu is garbage at what he does. Absolutely awful at what he does. But he's been able to go out and buy players that would start for United. He's got owners that are almost as bad as United. Stan Kroenke doesn't care one iota about Arsenal. His son, he cares a little bit, but not Stan. But they brought in Fabio Vieira. He'd start on the right wing for United. Marquinhos probably wouldn't. Turner wouldn't. Gabriel Jesus would start for United. Zinchenko would start in central midfield for United. He's also a better left-back than Malasia. Like, Edu's awful, but at least he's there to do that job. They have a recruitment department. Now, not a big one because he let most people go so he could deal directly with agents himself. Also, so there'd be no oversight into how bad he is. But still, he's awful and he's done really well. Well, not really well, but well enough. Like those signings, those three signings would actually be better for United than they are for Arsenal. Because Vieira would start. And now Zinchenko should start midfield for Arsenal, but I don't think he's going to. And if he's the left back, it actually weakens them. Um, But he'd be a really good addition in midfield for United because United have no midfield. No midfield. But if you put a three-man midfield out of Bruno, pick a good holding midfielder and Zinchenko, that's quite nice. There's balance there. Again, Gabriel Jesus through the middle. Off the right in a three as part of a two, maybe play him with Cristiano and let him do Cristiano's running for him. And Fabio Vieira on one wing and Sancho on the other, that's not bad at all. Vieira cutting inside to open the field up for his passing. Edu's crap and he's done much better. Like Aston Villa signed Diego Carlos, he's problematic. But he'd start for United. He's better than Harry Maguire. They signed Bubakar Kamara. You couldn't have gone and got Bubakar Kamara? You're desperate for a holding midfielder. You couldn't have just gone and signed Bubakar Kamara. But Aston Villa can? Like, it, it just... it boggles the mind how bad United are at recruitment. And yes, the Glazers are problematic, to say the least. But a lack of investment in the team is not something that can be levelled at them. It's just not. They have burned through money. Like, the only summer they've kind of held back was 1819 when they signed DeLow and Fred, that's still 55 to 60 million. It's still a lot of money. 
17-18, Lindelof, Lukaku, Matic. Then they bring in Alexis Sanchez on half a million a week. They also sign Zlatan on huge money. 16-17, Paul Pogba in the door. 89 million. Mkhitaryan, 35 million. Eric Bailly, 30 million. Fifteen, sixteen. Depay, Damian, Schweinsteiger, Schneiderlin, Martial. That's well over a hundred million spent. The previous summer, fourteen, fifteen. Ander Herrera, Luke Shaw, Marcus Rojo, Angel Di Maria, and Daily Blood. Again, well over a hundred million. So there's only been two summers since the big bad wolf left, which were thirteen, fourteen. When the only player they signed was Fellaini, but then they did sign Mata in January, so they still spent sixty-five million that year, and the summer of Fred, but again they still spent sixty million. Liverpool fans would kill for their club to spend sixty million at a whim, a hundred million each summer. They're just so bad at recruitment. What did their recruitment team do? What did they do on a day-to-day -day basis? You have one job. Find players. Scout players. Gather data. That's it. Put together long lists and then short lists. Bring them to the manager. Bring them to your superior. What are they doing? And what is John Murtaugh doing? What is Darren Fletcher doing? He's been given a new role to go alongside his other role, which was just a made-up role. The entire club is a shambles. It's an absolute shambles. Edu's awful. He's done much better than you, with a smaller budget, by the way. Barcelona are falling apart, and yet... Kunde, Lewandowski, Rafinha, Christensen and Kessie. Oh, and Pablo Torre, the young midfielder they brought in from uh, Racing Santander, Santander, who's another star in the making by all accounts. Another one who could go the path of Pedri, Pedri and Gavi. What are you doing? The reason United don't compete is not because the Glazers won't invest the money. Yes, it's disgusting how much money they take out of the club, but at the end of the day, it is their business asset. And business owners do tend to take money out of business assets. That's just how business works. They view it as a business. That's all they view it as. But they do spend enough for it to be a competitive business. The problem is they've hired people who aren't qualified to do the jobs that they're in. And I would love to know how much influence Ferguson has on a day-to-day -day basis. Because what Ferguson left behind was a mess. I know they won the league the last season. That was 85% him. And just the knowledge of what it was to win league titles. City bottled it as well. The league was fairly weak. But he left behind an old squad without, without a whole lot to really get excited about moving forward if you were a Man United fan. Like if we take a look at the squad he left behind in the final season that he was there. De Gea, yeah, great. Okay. Raphael, mediocre. Patrice Evra, 31, sorry, 32 years of age. Phil Jones, squad player. Ferdinand, well past his best. Evans, squad player. Valencia, past his best. Anderson, never worked there. Berbatov, was, I think he was gone at that point, actually. I think he started the season and then left. Uh, Rooney, Rooney was already declining at that point. He was only 27, 28, but he was declining. Giggs, years past his best. Smalling, squad player. Lindegaard, 
I mean, as a fourth choice goalkeeper, he'd be all right. Uh, Chicharito, squad player. Nemanja Vidic, well past his best, 32 years of age, and had that body type that when the cliff came, he was just over it straight away. There was no way for him. He he went from being really good to awful like that. Um, Nani, talented but frustrating and injury prone. Ashley Young, squad player, Welbeck, squad player. Robin Van Persie, excellent, but had turned 30 and had injury problems. Uh, Paul Scholes, well past his best, had retired before that and come back. Cleverly, not good enough. Fletcher, squad player, had a run in the team for a number of years, was an important player for Ferguson, never very good. More about graft and application. But he'd had that horrendous stomach thing that cost him 18 months maybe of his career. Um, Kagawa, they didn't know how to use him. Uh, Makeda had his moment in 09 and then disappeared. Uh, Butner, like, I mean, th- this is the squad he left behind. Like, Jesse Lingard is still there, and Adnan Yanazai, and David Petrucci, who was meant to be the next big thing, and it didn't work. Will Keane, I think Michael Keane was there. Like, th- there was just there was nothing to really get on board with. You could put De Gea in goal and Van Persie at the other end of the field. But you needed the nine in between. Ferguson had literally patched together a miracle. That title was the dead cat bouncing. Now, if you don't know what that means, I'm not going to tell you. I'll just ask you to Google it and trust me on this. Um, But that title reminded me of Liverpool's 89-90 title where it was more about the brilliance of the manager and the experienced players knowing what it took to win a league title and managing themselves across the line in what was a down season for the rest of the league. United weren't the best team in England, but they had the best manager and they knew how to win. And no one else knew how to win at that point. Even City, who'd won one title, didn't know how to win. So, Ferguson left a mess. The Glazers have spent more than enough. They've just always had bad people in place. If you want to go after them for something, go after them for Richard Arnold. Or Ed Woodward before him. Or John Murtaugh. Or Darren Fletcher. You know, go after him for them. For appointing Ollie as manager. For bringing in Ranić, Proven to be a very, very good director of football. And a fairly average manager. Who'd never been. Or sorry, who hadn't been a full-time manager for a decade. Giving him the manager's job. And then when the common sense approach would have been to make him director of football. And allow him to restructure the club. You sacked him. You, you binned him off and sent him off to manage the Austrian national team. Baffling. That's the United's problem. It's not It's not a lack of spending. Take a break. When we come back, we'll go through the news, we'll go through the gossip, and we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. Um... More news from the Ryan Giggs case. Uh, His ex-partner says that she became a slave to his every need and demands. I can't bring myself to read it because yesterday has made me feel ill. It's a piece on the BBC website that you can read for yourself there. Uh, It does not make good reading for Mr. Giggs. Nor does this make good reading for Benjamin Mendy or Manchester City Football Club or anyone involved with him. Uh, He has pled not guilty to another charge of rape. Uh, He entered the plea in a court hearing as preparations get underway for a trial at Chester Crown Court. He is facing eight counts of rape, one of sexual assault, and one of attempted rape. I'm sorry, but that's seven different women have come forward. Seven. 
and 10 offences. Outrage. Absolute outrage. Let's move on. The FIFA World Cup in 2022, that's this year, will start one day early. The World Cup is set to start one day earlier than planned on Sunday the 20th of November with hosts Qatar taking on Ecuador. The Group A opener will be played at 4 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time as the, oh sorry, the Group A match was meant to be played at 4 p.m. on the 21st as the third match of the competition after Senegal versus the Netherlands at 10 a.m., which was to be the opening game. But they've decided to bring forward the Qatar-Ecuador game so that the hosts can get their moment in the sun. Now, I would imagine that game will draw something of a record low for an opening game for the World Cup. Like, to me, the opening game should always involve the holders. Now, the holders should also get an automatic qualification for the next World Cup. The fact they've done that, done away with that, annoys me. Even though the teams that win the World Cup, it's very, it's a very small chance they won't qualify. Although we saw Italy win the European Championships and not qualify for this World Cup. So, you know, it can happen. But still. So, there you go. Sunday, the 20th of November, Qatar versus Ecuador. Stadium does look to be the business. But, obviously, we've heard the horror stories about what's happened to the workers. uh, Specifically, the migrant workers who helped build these stadiums. Uh, England's Group B match with Iran, which is being played at 1pm on the 21st, will be the second game of the tournament. So you get Senegal against the Netherlands and then England versus Iran and then whatever else is to come. Oh, um, Wales against the United States of America. And I assume there's another game on the same day. I I don't think they'll play a game at 10 a.m., 1 p.m. and then not have another game till 9. That would be a bit weird. But look, this this whole World Cup is is a bit of a mess. If we're all being honest, it's all been a bit of a mess from start to finish. Right, let's see what's happening in the world of transfers. Matthew Hoppe is set to be unveiled as a new Middlesbrough player. Philip Kostic is on his way to Juventus. Nikola Vlasic is leaving West Ham after just one year to join Torino on a loan with an option to buy. I think West Ham have managed him terribly. But this is the second time he's come to England and the second time it's been a pretty big disaster where he hasn't really get, gotten an opportunity to play. So you do have to wonder, does he just train really badly? Uh, Nico Gonzalez is going to Valencia on loan from Barcelona. Arsenal are set to follow up the sale of Lucas Torreira with another sale, that of Pablo Mari. Uh, it'll be a loan with an obligation to buy if they stay up uh, at Monza. Monza, of course, owned by Berlusconi, with Galliani pulling the strings. They're basically trying to recreate 1980s AC Milan. The club is called AC Monza. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see. Juventus want to sign Memphis Depay. Depay will only accept termination of contract at Barcelona when he's happy. So, yeah. Barca want to just cancel his contract and let him go on a free and Juventus are happy to sign him on a free transfer. It just depends whether Memphis is happy with the with the decision to go there. Uh, Mikel Damsgaard should be confirmed as a Brentford player in the next day or so. That deal is done. The fee for Pablo Mari will be around £4 million. I believe Arsenal paid 9 to buy him, so there's another Another nice loss for Edu. Uh, Hamza Chowdhury has left Leicester on loan to join Watford for the season. Watford needed a midfielder. I think Hamza Chowdhury is a decent player, so I think it's a good deal for them. It also gives Watford the option to buy him permanently next summer. Uh, Malang Sar is a Monaco player now, loan with an option to buy that becomes an obligation to buy if he plays a certain amount of games. 
Uh, Todd Bowley wants to sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to be his new number nine. I can't get used to looking at Aubameyang with a, with a shaved head. I just think he looks like an imposter, basically, without the traditional trademark hair. Uh, Ren are set to sign Arnaud Calimundo from PSG. Had been linked with Leeds. Didn't seem to go anywhere. Ren had brought in some cash from the sale they made to um, from the sale they made to Bayern Munich. They sold that young striker. Was it? Is it Till? Is that his name? Yes, Tell. Matthias Tell. Uh, and they've replaced him with Calimundo. So makes sense. One very promising young striker out. One very promising striker in. And PSG will use that money to buy Fabian Ruiz or to decorate an office or something. Uh, there's nothing agreed between Juan Mata. Juan Mata is just sitting out there. There's a couple of good players actually sitting out there on free transfers at the minute, or Bosman transfers as they are. Um, the most notable one is Andrea Bellotti. I'm amazed he hasn't signed anywhere yet. He is a good player. Um, but there's some decent players out there. Juan Mata could do a job for somebody. Um, I think that's everything. We'll just run through the gossip then as our last bit. Manchester City have dismissed claims that they have agreed a fee with Barcelona to sell Bernardo Silva. So this came out yesterday from uh, Gerard Romero, who was the one that had the Kunde deal while all the spoofers were saying, oh, it's done to Chelsea, done to Chelsea. Uh, he just said, no, no, no. Barcelona are going to sign him, and they signed him. Uh, he said that there's a fee agreed between City and Barcelona for Bernardo. City have denied it, but we'll wait and see what happens. Um, after ending their interest in Marco Arnautovic, Manchester United will turn their attention to Ismail Assar. So having failed to sign a striker, they'll sign a winger instead. Makes a lot of sense. If you haven't seen Ismail Assar's goal from the other night, go and find it. It's absolutely outrageous. Uh, United have been offered the chance to sign Alvaro Morata, who has a year left in his contract. So you could sign him or you could just wait a year and get him for nothing. Or you could just not sign him, which would be the smart thing to do. Uh, PSV Eindhoven's Netherlands forward, Cody Gakbo, is another forward interested in United. But they would have to part with about £35 million. Why are they interested in Cody Gakbo? He's a good player. He's not a great prospect. Like, it's... You don't look at Cody Gakbo and think he's going to be a top 15 player in the world. He'll be a very good player, but, I mean, he's a bit samesy when you have Rashford. Uh, but he plays in the Eredivisie, so the manager knows him. Arsenal are holding talks with AC Milan midfielder Sa Sandro Tonali. No, they're not. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal are set to beat Liverpool to the signing of Jeremy Pino. Fair play. Uh, Chelsea could have a record-breaking bid for Wesley Fofana hijacked by Paris Saint-Germain. See, this is the thing. If Leicester are willing to sell at a certain price, there will be other clubs that will take a look at that and think, okay, we'll we'll take a swing at that too. Because he does have an enormous upside. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea are also preparing another approach for Cesare Cassetti of Inter Milan. Milan want a fee of about 12 million. Inter Milan actually want to keep him. So I think it would cost more than 12 million, but I could be wrong. Uh, Obama, Yang, yada, yada. Barcelona Spanish winger Alex Caledo is a target for Celtic. Be a really good signing for Celtic. Newcastle are set to submit an opening bid of around 25 million for uh Goncalo Ramos of Benfica. He's a he's a good young striker. Good young striker. Um would be a good addition for the tune. Barcelona are offering Netherlands striker 
Memphis Depay to Juventus. Aston Villa's pursuit of 30 million rated Raul de Thomas has been given a boost after Espanyol's chairman, the Spaniard, might leave the club, although Everton, Newcastle and West Ham are also interested. 30 million for Raul de Thomas? What? No. No, no, no. 30 million. 20, maybe. 30, absolutely not. No, 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 no. No. Nope, not a chance would I. I wouldn't even consider it. And he's, he's not exactly the type that, well, maybe. He might be a decent fit next to Ollie Watkins. Uh, Burnley have seen a £2.5 million bid for Cardiff's Welsh striker Isaac Davies rejected. Uh, would expect them to go back. Very promising. Very highly regarded is young Isaac. Uh, not a great return last season in his first season for Cardiff. Only three goals in 30 games, but showed a lot of promise. And he's got versatility in the forward line. And uh, Hull City are keen to sign Jeremy Ngakia from Watford. Uh, he could do with leaving at this point. Yeah, so that is a deal that could work for everybody. And this was a podcast that worked for me. Hope it worked for you. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.